For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. Have you read any good books recently? I've just finished Tina Brown's Vanity Fair Diaries. I couldn't put it down. For someone who's worked in magazines for as long as I have, it was fascinating. There's the gossip, but it was really, for me, about how she gets the story. There are definite parallels between magazines and podcasting. Obviously, on a completely different scale, my team is pretty much me. At the end of the days, it's all about your unique voice and it's about how you tell your stories, but also how you edit them, which ones you choose. Have you ever wondered how I plan this podcast? On the wall in my office, I've got this bunch of post-it notes that's basically a map of all of my guests I would love to interview, so it's a wish list. And a lot of the names are big famous ones and draw cards because that's what gets people excited to listen. And because that's my vision, I started Wardrobe Crisis to bring you insider access to the likes of oh, Ellen MacArthur or, for example, the UN or big international designers like Catherine Hamnett. And we do actually say no to lots of lovely people with lovely stories who approach us just because I'm very clear in that vision. I want this to be about leading the conversation in a global way. And so on my wall right now, I'll rattle some off. Who have I got? I got Stella McCartney. I got Mohammed Yunus, the Nobel Peace Prize winner. He's on my wish list. I'd love to talk to him about microfinance. I've got Jeremy Rifkin, the author of The Third Industrial Revolution. He actually contacted his office. I was like, I know Jeremy's quite busy talking to world leaders and advising Angela Merkel and the Chinese premier, but if he has a window, he might enjoy wardrobe crisis. They said they were considering it. Come on, Jezza, you know you want to. Who else? I've got Gwyneth. You know I'm obsessed with Gwyneth. I've also got topics up there. So there's a note that just says colonialism. And there's been one there for a while that reads New Gen. New Gen's all about who is on next, who's the talent. I did some shows last series about emerging green talents at Milan Fashion Week and one earlier this year in London with Bethany Williams and Matthew Needham and Patrick McDowell, my choice of the British eco ones to watch. We've also featured Maggie Marilyn from New Zealand who is proving very deserving of all the attention she's getting. So who makes a cut from Australia? I've been thinking for a while that I haven't done much in that space. Now, there's definitely more than one contender, and we'll certainly look at doing a show with several designers. But this week's guest is standing alone. She's been on my radar since she began two years ago. I wrote the first mainstream media story about her Melbourne-based brand, ABCH. That was for the Sydney Morning Herald in April 2017, and she just launched, I think, in February, so two months before. She told me for that story... 
that her dream was, and I quote, to one day have all of our manufacturing done in-house. We'd employ all our makers directly and present the making side of it as just as beautiful and glamorous as design. I want it to be seen as a creative job that fashion students aspire to. Just think about all the people who love sewing, she said. Imagine if you could find a way of using lean tactics where every maker sews a garment from start to finish and has satisfaction. That job needs to change. It needs to become something that we view as creative. Courtney is an original thinker. That was just one idea. She's got loads. With ABCH, she is challenging many of fashion's norms. Hers is a direct-to-consumer brand, so she doesn't have to squeeze her make price for wholesale. She's obsessed with cradle to cradle and she's hyper transparent. So she details everything about her garments, even down to like the suppliers of her threads and her interlinings on her website, which you can find at www.abch.world. And last Black Friday, I got this email in my inbox. She ran a reverse sale and she actually put prices up. Style-wise, Courtney is a minimalist, but there's a lot of politics behind this. So with a recent capsule collection, it was completely undyed and even the model was shot without makeup. It's just been lovely to watch Courtney's progress. ABCH has been shortlisted for a bunch of design awards in Australia. And last week they showed at Helsinki Fashion Week. It's my great pleasure to introduce you this week to Courtney Home. Hello, Courtney Home. Hello. Congratulations are in order, I believe. Thank you. You have injected pink and maybe even another colour into your collection. Yes, colour has emerged at ABCH, so it's very exciting times. I have never seen you, and I've seen you often over the course of your brand's development. I've never seen you not wearing black, white or grey, Courtney. And I don't think that's going to change too much. I personally am not a huge wearer of colour as much as I appreciate it on other people. I just feel more comfortable in monochrome. But this isn't the point. The point of me raising that was not to take the mick out of you for being Mrs Minimalist when I am Aesthetic Maximalist. It was because when I said this to you the other day, when I said I'd seen you with some plaid on Instagram, your answer wasn't what I expected and it wasn't just about aesthetics. Tell us about the threads. Yeah, well, you know, when it comes to how we actually create our products, there's so much more than just sourcing a fabric and picking the trend of the season for a colorway. It comes down to the threads that we use, the types of dyes that go into that garment, the buttons. You know, there's so many things that will influence a garment and what it's going to actually end up being. So for us to be able to buy like lots of different colors and whatnot would actually be really expensive for us to do. So there's a practical reason why we stick with But there's those. also a sustainability driver for it because it Absolutely. means that, and we're going to get into how your business model works, but you're not being wasteful. You're not buying loads of one crazy color for the season and then putting it aside. And I thought that was ever so interesting. So while you do love the minimalist coolness of having that really narrow palette, it's actually about sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of colours as well, like we don't want to have to ever throw fabric away. I want to get the most out of every single fabric that we use. So it won't just be one style I have in mind when I pick a fabric. And usually those simpler colours tend to stand the test of time for longer. So that's a big part of it as well. Okay, we're going to come back to the where's and how's of the process. But first of all, what is ABCH? What does the name mean? ABCH uh, stands for Article by Courtney Holm. Every piece of clothing to me is an article that has a number basically assigned to it. And with that number, the idea is that people, customers can search that number 
forever after the garment has gone out into the world, whether it's donated to an op shop and someone buys it from an op shop, they can see the tag, they can see the code and it's A.20 or A.18 and they can search that on our website. And even if we don't sell that product anymore, they can see the whole supply chain story about where that piece came from. So that's actually radical transparency. I thought you were going to say that that was about... I guess, your rage against seasonality, that you're saying this is consecutive and this is something that can live in an ongoing way, but you're actually saying this is, it's what's it made of Yeah, content. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's the content, it's the exact origin for each of the raw materials that we use. But where do the you idea, find it? On our website. There's basically right up at the top, next to shop, it says product code. You click on that, you type in the number, boom. Now, today I'm wearing like a anorak that came from Arquette and Arquette is part of the H&M group which I know people have problems with but Arquette interests me because it's transparent completely and you can search product and you can search exactly how things were made and where they were made mm-hmm. and I like the concept behind it and I thought I can talk about this and I can get behind it they're an enormous multinational mega giant yeah and yet here are you doing it in Melbourne it's possible it's absolutely possible I think that's the biggest thing I'm trying to prove is that it doesn't matter what size you are that's irrelevant it's actionable no matter what. For me, it seems like common sense. The reason I started the label is because I wasn't seeing it happen. And I thought that that wasn't right. And I wanted to change it. And I wanted to make it easy for a customer to see all that information. And also down the track, maybe a recycler needs to see that information. Well, absolutely. I mean, that is the conversation that we're now having more and more in the industry at large, which is how do we track assets? If you can't track assets, how can you have a hope of recycling them if you don't know Mm. what was in them from the outset, but actually I haven't met any emerging or smaller established designers who are doing this, so... It's me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of work involved. It's, um, man, I've done countless hours of research and hassling people and following up, a lot of following up. It's an ongoing process, but to say that I've built a bit of a library and a bit of a starting point is really exciting because after two years of launching the business, there's a place I have to start now when I want to source something. It's not all from scratch each time necessarily. Okay, we're going to get into that. But first of all, I want to read a statement from your website, which I love, and ask you just to expand on it a little bit. And that is, ABCH is an independent fashion label offering a simple solution to a complex problem. Yes. So I guess that's the simplest way of saying it. We're trying to revolutionize the way people buy, wear, and then dispose of their clothing. That's really what it comes down to. And part of that, like intrinsic to that, is the education piece. I get to um, see a lot of my customers face-to-face because they come into the shop and I always try to slip in a little bit of end-of-life knowledge while they're browsing the clothes. this shirt, you're going to get a lesson. It's not just, oh, what a lovely material. It's like, did you know that you could cut this up and it'll biodegrade at the end of its life? And they're just like, why are you telling me this? (laughs) Because we're not there yet. But then have you thought about how you might be able to take back garments that are at the end of their... yes. So we have a take-back program. So any time people want to return an ABCH garment, and to be fair, we've only been in existence for two years, I'd be pretty worried if people were sending stuff back now, and they haven't yet. But when they do, they just need to request a shipping label from us. We will bring it back into the space. We'll assess it and decide if we can use it for something like a workshop or something like that. If not, we're saving it for cellulose recycling in the future because that's still better than cutting it up and putting it in the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's huge focus on education and actually giving the customers the power to be able to decide and then providing them with a simple solution in the form of a product that meets those needs. 
And so how does the product meet the needs? You've talked about your take on transparency. How else? Transparency kind of frames everything because without transparency, there's no need to improve or to look within and actually say, okay, we need to do better in certain areas because I'm not ever claiming to be perfect. There's still a long, a long way to go in lots of different areas. But I would say, you know, besides the transparency piece, looking more specifically, there's the social aspect, how people are treated within our supply chain. And that goes down from, you know, the grower of the fiber right up into the, the product being made. And then hopefully an end of life, the piece being recycled. Also the environmental impact and and that is a huge thing which spans wastage and pollution and water. There's a lot of different aspects to the environmental side of things, carbon emissions. So looking at all those things individually through life cycle assessments when we actually make our garments. If people are listening to this thinking that I had just compared you, obviously <laughs> quite a different size scale, but to H&M in terms of scale, and I've said you're nothing like that, but how small are you? Like, Can you paint us a picture of if we're recording this in a hotel room, but if I were in your studio, what would I see? I would call us a micro business, not even a small business. That's where we're at at this moment in time. There's nine people that work on ABCH in various capacities. Some are part-time. Myself, I'm more than full-time. Um, it just depends on the day, though, what will be happening. Some days there's um, someone on the sewing machine, you know, whizzing away, making samples. Someone will be cutting out. I'll have an intern tracing patterns. We have a really beautiful, light, airy studio. Customers can actually walk into the studio at any time as well, try things on, see the whole process as well. So there's like a real message of transparency going on just by a customer walking in and seeing all the behind the scenes of our studio. So you're making samples in-house. I think you do make some small runs as well, right? Yeah, we do about 20% of production in-house. Um, and that's more for our more complicated pieces. We do all the sampling in-house. I often do sampling myself as well because I find that's a huge part of the design process for me is actually the making. We also have two partner factories that we work with who are Ethical Clothing Australia certified. Um, and they're both based in Melbourne as well. So we work with them to do our larger runs. So when we're doing 100 units, we'll go to one of our factories to help us with that. Fantastic. That is fantastic, actually. I mean, we often talk about this idea that one of the best ways to fight climate change is to think about localism, to shorten your supply chain so much mm. that, in fact, that garment has only been made in one country, for example. And we know that when we look at big picture fast fashion, that often garments have been made at different stages in multiple yeah. countries. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some of that that you just can't avoid in terms of like when you go down deeper into the supply chain, you know, we don't grow flax in Australia, so I'm never going to be able to get Australian grown linen. Um, so I do have to go offshore to get certain materials. But when it comes to the actual construction of the garment, it's all 100% done in Australia. All the value add is done here. When I first met you, or perhaps one of the earliest times I met you, you were just starting out and I interviewed you for a newspaper. And I remember very clearly you telling me this was your big vision, that you wanted to elevate the different jobs that happen within the fashion production process so that it wasn't just the designer who was the hero. And you said to me, why can't we celebrate the creative aspects of being a pattern maker or sewing? I absolutely love that idea. I think as well as looking to the future, I mean, it might sound like very much like looking to the past, but I feel like looking to the future, you know, with automation and sobots and all the things that are, you know, on the so horizon. About the sobots? <laughs> They're already here. I know. They've I know that come. headline, the sobots are coming, it's wrong. The sobots are <laughs> <They're> here. here. <laughs> um, you know, I think this idea of, of simple tasks being automated, you know, we've used very low paid 
what would be called unskilled labor. I don't agree with that phrase necessarily to make our clothes for so long. I actually love the idea of, yeah, like you said, bringing the creativity back into it myself working with the machinist and actually coming up with solutions mm. together as designer and maker e- as equals rather than the designer being you know in a beautiful tall building and their makers are down in the mm. basement but there's also yeah. I mean we know that with the fast fashion system for example that garment workers will just sew one small thing like maybe the seam on a pocket and they just sew that over and over again and of course it's for speed so Very efficient much more efficient <laughs> yes we take a little bit of a slower approach so I'm sure that you know it's not the most efficient way to create but it's actually um surprisingly it's a lot better for me as a micro slash small business to be able to make this way I have a lot more agility and control over what we're making and what customers responses are on the spot we can do small runs we can test it and then we can decide whether we're going to make it in a larger run and it's a lot speedier it's almost like fast fashion but slow fashion collide (laughs) it's actually a very interesting idea isn't it because you can be more nimble yeah you can say oh well if we can sell five of these t-shirts we'll make them Exactly. And that's the beauty of it. And the beauty of also communicating with people who are making the product, they tell you where there's little issues or if they think there's going to be a problem, especially when it comes to how things wear, if they're worried about, you know, a high stress area or something, they can communicate that to you Mm. as they're making the garment several times. So I think it's a really lovely relationship. And I am a strong believer that the best designer is one that is very connected to how something is made. And I don't believe that Australia will become just a design hub and we'll lose all of our making because I think that would be a terrible shame. One of the stats that we often use to paint a picture of a dying or faded garment industry in Australia is to say only about 8% of the fashion that's for sale in the stores in Australia is made here. But that's still 8% and actually is growing. I've talked to the Australian Fashion Council about this and we are actually seeing growth. Yeah, and I think also for those smaller designers who are just starting out or who, you know, haven't really been able to have the money to look offshore yet I mean I'm hoping that they're finding that there actually is a viability to make in Australia ongoing it's not just about elevating makers or about making locally for you it's also profoundly and in a big way about circularity absolutely it's the reason why the label exists I wouldn't have been able to start a label that was just going to dabble in sustainability. (laughs) It it was kind of all or nothing for me. And through my research, I discovered that really that was the only way I really felt that I could have a sustainable brand. As in one that continues. One that continues, yeah, rather than the environmental sustainable definition, I suppose. And so I guess with circularity, like it really clicked for me that that's really the only way forward with finite resources running low and all of the I guess emotional stuff that you see when it comes to you know how people are treated down the supply chain I mean there's so many examples that would make me never want to go near fashion again but I am a bit of a doer and a dreamer and I had this dream to prove that it could be done and actually say hey if I can do it then why can't everybody else do it I'm a strong believer in using circular materials now rather than waiting for some big brand to make it accessible one day magically we'll all start using it. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that's what's going to happen. If we want circularity to become the norm and actually be something, it needs to start now. Like it's going to be too late to wait. So what do mm. you do? Well, we design everything for biological circularity. So basically what that means is that the products that we're using, all the raw materials that go into them come from a biological source. They're able to be composted or biodegrade at the end of their life. 
And all of the raw materials that go into that garment have to do that. So it can't be like, oh, we use organic cotton in a t-shirt and then sew with polyester thread. That doesn't count. Or have a garment label or a care label that is made from nylon or whatever is the standard these days I'm not sure so (laughs) down to that yeah yeah down to the absolute tiniest detail it goes for the invisible things as well the interlinings that go into collars and cuffs your buttons the dyes what am I missing there's so many things (laughs) but hang on a minute so We'll share some links about what it means when we talk about the, I guess, two different flows in circularity. So looking at biological nutrients and technical nutrients, they're just words and phrases that we use. But when we're looking at, for example, technical nutrients, they are man-made and don't biodegrade. So we might be talking about a plastic button, for example. Yes. And the whole idea is that if you keep the loops in flow, you don't want to contaminate the technical with the biological. So you don't want this biodegradable item that then has this technical nutrient that you have to take off it in Mm. order to make it either recyclable or biodegradable. It's actually, if you think about a garment, very tricky because look at what you're wearing right now. That's what I suggest. Now, a t-shirt may be, although as we said, the thread might not be biodegradable, but look at if you're wearing some trousers or a skirt or a jacket, there is absolutely very little likelihood that that is purely either bio or technical, right? Yeah, and I guess when I first started this journey, I was looking at these pure material streams and it's so challenging because it eliminates the ability to use zippers or... Elastic. Elastic, or exactly, like forget elastin in a fabric, but even elastic in a waistband. You know, all all of these things that are just hidden away in a garment, but if you actually dissected it, I think... Me seeing that happening at a recycling facility really it just confirmed that I'm not a crazy person, <laughs> <laughs> that designing for biological circularity now is possible and it is going to help with end of life down the track. You were in a recycling facility which has just opened in Hong Kong. Yes, I was. So I went to visit the um, Novatex and HK Reader collaboration recycling facility in Taipo. And um, it was really fascinating because it's this state-of-the-art recycling facility. Their main way that they are recycling is the shred method, which has been around for a very long time. It's really cool the way they do it. They use robots and AI to figure out what's what, and it's cool to watch. But that has its own limitations because they're just chopping up all the different materials, putting them together. You might have 1% nylon in there, 2% wool. So you're still going to have an issue the next time that garment comes back through the cycle still have a problem the other way they do is the technical way or the chemical process which actually separates cotton and PET fibers um, using two different methods one's a fungal way so it's very like you know it eats away at the cotton fiber and the other way is like a chemical they apply to it that actually splits up the two one becomes a powder which is cellulose based and then the other becomes the PET fibers really cool but um, the issues they have with that are that it's only for polyester cotton blends So no other material can go into that mix or it messes with the chemistry. And they still have to go through the process of removing the buttons, the zippers, the labels, everything like that. And even if a garment is labeled and it says this is 50-50 cotton poly, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, I'm pretty sure there is a uh, lenience when it comes to labeling the exact fiber content of things. There could be traces of all sorts of stuff in there that could affect it as well. So that is not ready for commercial scale. They're still playing. They're still tweaking that. Very interesting. And when I spoke to them about it, they said that it was pretty much would be their dream for designers to actually think about this stuff at the design phase. Right. And to me, like it's 
if you're not thinking about the end of life of a product in the design stage, that's like incomplete design. You haven't completely finished your design yet. And that's what I'm all about. It's like design with the end in mind. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because we're really not there yet. We're only at the very beginnings of this being a conversation. Yeah, but it's like, yes, we're still in conversation mode, but regardless of that, there are steps we can take now to design with the end in mind, regardless of whether you think you can be fully circular or not. Like that is something that I think is kind of missing a little bit from the conversation because everyone's just relying on the fact that we'll just recycle it all one day. And Well, you we'll said to me when we just, <laughs> when we pre-planned having this conversation, one of the things you said to me was recycling is not the answer. It's not the answer. And it never should be in any sort of circular mindset Cycling is like one of the things that we can do down the chain, but it's not the be all and the end all. One, I don't think the technology is going to develop fast enough or have the capability to handle all of the materials that are already in existence that are wasted currently. And two, we need to really be much more creative when it comes to what we do with materials that exist, not just think, oh, recycling will solve it. And three, we need to change the way we design. We need to rethink completely the way that we think, actually. Mm. And that's a massive order, but it's possible. You're proving it. Now, obviously, when you are relatively small you don't have pockets of cash no <laughs> you're going to have some limitations and one of those things is that it can be more expensive to buy the fabrics and the trims that you would like to access yeah but you've had a creative way of trying to solve this talk to me about sharing orders it's been a slow burn but what I've done is rather than you know not for necessarily fabrics but when it comes to more of the building block pieces like the elastics and the threads things that people aren't going to get funny about sharing I actually basically put a call out on a Facebook group that I run and I say, hey guys, I'm going to do a tensile thread order. If we can get to this many units, it's going to cost this much. If we can get to this many units, it's going to cost that much. And um, the idea is to get people in on the order for cost price. I don't charge any sort of markup or fees to do that. I just want to be able to share these materials with other people. Well, you're being a convener of change, actually. It's quite interesting because it does take leadership and I think that's one of the reasons why I admire you so much Courtney because you are a leader on this that you're saying here's a problem what if we did this this could be a solution I can't do it on my own therefore I'm going to make it possible for other people to join me Mm. that sounds like something that should be elementary that everyone does but it's not no and I think the way the fashion industry has worked or what I've seen of it in my short time of being in it is that everything is a secret and you don't tell people who your suppliers are and you don't share your trade secrets because someone might copy you and I just think that that's an attitude that needs to change. I've never liked that attitude. Even at uni, I couldn't handle that sort of (laughs) attitude, even between students, like really worried that someone else would copy what they're doing. And I just think that especially when it comes to raw materials, there's so much innovation and creativity. Aren't we like smart enough and creative enough to make different things out of these yeah. raw materials yeah. it's it's and not also limiting when you, when you have a big problem you can't solve them on on your own and that's such a cliche but I think we ought to remind ourselves of it more because we really need to have creative solutions that are in partnership totally and you know people always say circularity has to be collaborative it's not one winner takes all sort of situation and I totally agree but then I don't see the attitudes or the, the action, action. <laughs> yeah. uh, supporting that, that yeah. statement just yet whereas I'm like okay I agree I'm going to be vulnerable and actually say, here's my suppliers, here's what I know, who wants to come with me on this journey? And I'm I'm really happy to do that. 
You said that when you were at uni, you didn't like the idea of, you know, don't copy this, don't copy that, because you've always got creative ideas. What about when you were a kid? Were you a super nerd? Because I feel like I happen to know, and we haven't raised this, you spent years planning ABCH before you started it. I mean, you are a research nerd. I've never Mm. really met anyone in Australia who can talk the Water Stewardship Council under the table about reports (laughs) and get the stats right. (laughs) I do love... Facts. (laughs) I'm a very emotional person, but I'm also very realistic as well. When I sober up, I'm like, oh, wait a second. What are the actions? What are the steps? What is the evidence behind this? Yeah. And so I think for me, I want to have like the evidence and I want to know that we're not just running off on this tangent because it seems glossy and beautiful to do this greenwashing activity. I want to actually know that this is a thing that's going to be useful. And one thing I guess I realized pretty quickly is that just designing a t-shirt, let's say, as an example, in organic cotton and leaving it at that is not enough. You don't know what the actual impact of that garment is just because you think, oh, organic cotton's okay, tick. Well, you raise an interesting point, although hang on, I'm coming Mm. back to the interesting point just really quickly. What sort of kid were you? I want to know. (laughs) Oh, I would say I was a bit of a bookworm, um, but... I don't know. I, I had a rebellious streak in ah. my teenage years, which I think I was not a very nice person during. Nonsense. Um, but so maybe that's what makes it work because you've got this rebellious streak behind the maybe. getting all the research done thing. Maybe that's I mean, it, Courtney. Maybe, maybe I just, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, even before I had my epiphany for circularity and realized what I really needed to do, I was still very sure that I wanted to make locally and very sure that I wanted to be transparent and I didn't want to follow the ways of secrecy that the industry had Mm. you know laid out and I I think that maybe that's just me I don't like people telling me what to do Mm, I see it I always want to drill down into what makes people tick but you just raised a very interesting point which was I think we can fall back on the easy route although it isn't really the right route because it's not going to get us there but the kind of easy option of saying we're sustainable because we've switched to this material We're sustainable because we're making more stuff, but we're making it using organic cotton. So that's better than, you know, regular cotton. And that's true, but it's not enough. Um, We did have a chat about dead stock the other day. I think that's another one, isn't it? Talk to me about that, like how we need to have more than just a few quick fixes. And we need to actually look at the system, not just some of the materials. I would say firstly that it can be really easy to be swept up into this again emotional aspect of sustainability where we go oh I'll just use dead stock or oh I'll just switch to organic cotton and then I'll be doing the right thing and it's very well intentioned doing it the same way that I've always done it that's the problem yeah and I think it's very well intentioned but I, I actually think that fashion designers need to become more like scientists and we actually need to work a whole lot harder in understanding what actually happens to materials once they are created and what's going to happen to that piece when it comes to the time eventually it will come to a time where that garment needs to be thrown away disposed of what do we do with that piece Mm. then and the same is true for using dead stock the same is true for using recycled polyester there's going to come a point in time where it's no longer able to be extended in its life and yes dead stock might be a good solution for a very small brand or a student but I I mean look I would debate even the word dead stock is the wrong word I don't think that it's dead it's just being sold and it's 
just something that a factory produced that maybe one brand didn't want to buy all of. And it's been around for a really long time, as we were talking about. It's so not, it's, it's leftover and surplus. And it's interesting, though, because I always like language. But mm. I, when I used to have my tiny little label 10 years ago, I used to use what we now call dead stock, but we didn't use that word then. Mm. I did it because I was poor yeah, and small. Exactly. And I could get lovely quality fabrics if I was small by going to buy end of rolls that bigger designers didn't want. And I bought them from a place called The Fabric Store in Sydney and their um, parent company which the name escapes me but Wool Wool. Mm -hmm. there you go and they had wonderful stuff and it was like this is Diane von Furstenberg's dead stock or this is Lisa Ho's tweed or whatever it was and that was a great solution for me to be able to get fabric but I do think it's problematic for us to be saying dead stock now is a buzzword awesome therefore if you're using it you're using in inverted commas stuff that's already there so everything's fine so then it's all fine we don't have to worry about anything content unknown Mm. and I don't and still overproduced and still and actually you're creating demand exactly for it. there's no need for any mill or any designer to ever stop or slow down on their production someone, because someone's going to buy it. it and there's no risk gosh so. it's interesting isn't it and I think we did debate as to whether we ought to raise this because we don't mm. want to suggest that it's not a possible solution and it doesn't work well for some because I think it does but it's just about having a bigger view on it right absolutely and I think I've said it previously you know it might be that a you know a really small brand is they're just starting out they start using it um but there needs to be a plan in place for what's going to eventually happen to these products and what am I going to switch to when I can take the next step for my business and not just think that that's going to be a long-term solution if there's anyone listening who works in fashion or who wants to have their own label or who is a designer and they want to feel like there's some takeaways from this and actually the second part to this question is for some of those takeaways to be applicable to people who aren't working in fashion but just want to get anything off the ground because I think it is the same you know for anyone who wants to start any business from scratch that has a very original way of thinking behind it what would be your kind of key things that they need to focus on I would say to do your research because you just can never be too prepared and really understanding I guess the impact if you're going to be making something no matter what I really believe that down the track manufacturers people that produce things they're going to have to take responsibility for those items eventually Um, it may not be the case now but down the track there's going to come a point in time where you do and I would think now when you're small, when you're just starting out, what am I going to do with that when it comes back to me in 10 years' time and being in it for the long game? You know, I think that's super important because there's enough stuff. There is enough stuff. And if you have a really amazing original idea, awesome. Like, be you. Do it. It's amazing. Like, go for it. I am definitely a person who, if I decide I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it, you know? I'm not going to just talk about it all the time. And so I'm really, I do believe that you should follow your dreams and all that, but be realistic and plan and research and find out what the facts are and and learn what the evidence is and what you can do to make circularity actually work for you at a small level. Do you know that I didn't know that you were going to be so helpful with the hashtag make fashion circular, but you are. This is like a lesson in make fashion circular. Oh, and can I say, I don't know if I'm allowed to, but can I say as well, if anybody wants to join us with our sourcing? Please, don't. What do you mean allowed to? You must. Yeah, yeah, like. I was going to do that to you and then I thought maybe you didn't really mean it because there could be too many. (laughs) No, the more the merrier. Like, honestly, um, I would love it if more people were active um, in the group. A lot of people 
are on it, but maybe they just are observing for now. It'd be really great to have more people joining in on the orders. Um, but our Facebook group is called Sustainable Fashion Source Australia. We'll share a link. Join up. I'll invite you in. And yeah, it's um, it's as easy as that. Just responding when I do a post if you're interested in, in joining in. You're a change maker and that is a fact. Thank you. Claire. Even if you don't like pink. <laughs> like, I, like we said, there is pink. It's coming. Pink is coming. Yes. <laughs> it's more peach. It's more beige, mate. Come on. Oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that I'm defending you. We tell them all that they are wrong because I love you. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell them we're okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends will feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you